Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1006. If you don't lose every now and then, then you're not trying hard enough. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Mike Paul. Hey, Mike, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am. Thanks a lot for having me, Mark. You bet. Great to have you here. Mike Paul is the founder and host of the Motor Madhouse podcast, where, as he says, car junkies get their fix. He grew up in a household of automotive enthusiasts where they specialized in buying, restoring, and selling 1968 to 1972 GM A-bodied vehicles. His background includes work in aviation, maintenance, engine building, and as an automotive auctioneer. He's bought and sold snowmobiles, ATVs, dirt bikes, rare muscle car parts, plus classic and sports cars. Mike set a goal to own 25 different cars by the age of 25, which he did, and by the age of 27, he's owned 38 different cars, and he's on his way to owning 50 by the age of 30. Wow, wish I could say that. Mine are just Matchbox and Hot Wheels, so I don't think they count. So, Mike, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career, your business, and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Yeah, so obviously, it is an addiction. I mean, I refer to myself as a car junkie because I, I eat, sleep, and breathe it, and I have my entire life. I grew up buying and selling, restoring cars with my dad uh, every day from school. When I was in elementary school, I'd get home. I couldn't wait for the time of month when his Hemings Motor News would show up. And I would go through there and I would circle all the deals on the the cars that I knew, which were usually GM, Buick, Olds, Pontiac, Caddy, Chevy. He'd go from work and I'd have them all picked out and which cars to call on. And hopefully we could score a deal before someone else got to them. <laughs> cool. So it's been an obsession my entire life. It doesn't seem to be going away. It seems to get worse with age, in fact. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that happens. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you and your journey as we continue down this road. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Mike, take the wheel. <laughs> well, I would say a quote from a song that really corrupted me as a young child was uh, the Ronnie and Daytona song where he says, going to save all my money and buy a GTO because uh, <laughs> I have three right now. And I was oh, obsessed with that song ouch. when I was a kid. Wow. So it, uh, it definitely had an effect on me. It did something. Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, that's pretty funny. And, you know, you're a younger guy than me. So it's interesting that you liked that song because that was from an early, earlier era when it came out. It's funny how these things stick with us. So parents, be careful what you play for your kids. <laughs> it just might lead Absolutely. to an addiction. At least it's a car addiction. That's a healthy, fun addiction. Yeah, it, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse. Absolutely. Well, you alluded to some of this before, but let's go back in time and talk about what instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized, you know what, just like my dad, I'm a car guy? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I just had this revelation with my dad about five years ago um, when we were having a conversation and like I said, we did a lot of GMA bodies and we were talking about Boss 302 Mustangs. And I said, hey, Dad, didn't you used to have a Boss 302? He goes, oh, yeah, I had one a long time ago for like three weeks. That's three I was, weeks. I, was, I, was, oh, I, I said, I remember that car. Like, you cannot remember that. That was 1992. You were two years old. And I was like, Dad, I remember like it was yesterday. I went into the garage and looked at it. 
and I had a Buick GSX model, which I didn't know at the time. Now I know that. And I thought my dad and I had the same car because they were both yellow with black stripes. Mm. And then I saw his car had grates on the back window and mine didn't. And it kind of let me down because their cars were different. And then once I got older, I realized the grates meant it was a Boss 302. Wow. So my first memory in life I can attribute to being picking out differences in muscle cars. Oh, <laughs> so. my gosh. I mean, that's pretty darn incredible, that kind of impression. And the fact that even yeah. at that age, you, number one, if you can remember it. Now, you're a lot younger than me, so I'm trying to think if I can remember anything at two, no, three, no, four, five, so I, no. <laughs> I remember some pictures. I've got a yeah, great I don't remember much around that time, but that one memory sticks with me, and I guess uh, explains a lot. Well, Another yeah. one is I also, um, when I was 11, I learned to drive stick on a 1970 W34 speed. So oh, nice. I can hardly see over the dashboard, and uh, yeah, dude, it was a quite honored to be driving such an elite car, which is like a, still is a dream car of mine. So Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was... I had no choice. I was corrupted. <laughs> well, your dad knew uh, what kind of path to send you down. So uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty neat that he included you too in his hobby. That's that's a fun thing too. Well, let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure. Because even though you're a young guy, uh, I know you've faced some things in your life that you have to kind of overcome and get past. And we learn from these things and they're invaluable lessons and they stick with us. So tell us about one of your experiences and Tell us how it helped you gain even more momentum in your career or your business or your life. One of the my biggest, uh, I'd say, endeavors, uh, entrepreneurial endeavors I've ever taken on was we founded a collector car auction when I was 22 years old. I was working as an aircraft mechanic. We uh, decided to give it a go. And we, it was uh, a lot of work. It was I knew nothing about starting a business. I knew nothing about the auction business. I'd been to plenty of Mecham auctions, so you know I was, I was very passionate about how they worked and looking into them. Mm-hmm. And one day we decided to do it. It was amazing watching an idea come to life, being able to have all these people gather in one area and 150 cars here at this one place because of an idea that you had in your garage one night. It was I learned more from setting up the two auctions that we did than I think any schooling or college or degree could have taught me about business and everything else. Yeah, it was, it's an uh, instant MBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know a lot more now than I did then. I'm still learning, but I, I wish I, if I had a time machine, I could have changed a lot of things. But uh, it was, wow, the learning curve was fast and uh, very effective. <laughs> so, Well, that's pretty young to take on an endeavor like that, and especially if you hadn't even worked in that field other than just going to auctions. And uh, let me ask you this. So what happened with that venture that kind of backfired or fell apart on you that uh, then went on to a really valuable learning lesson? Well, what happened was it just got to the point where I was single at the time. You know, I was hoping to sell down and get married, but this set up an auction. You're going to cruise nights five days a week and going to car shows on the weekends, which I love. I love that. Mm-hmm. But it became work. I mean, I was passing out flyers. I was working the crowd, trying to get them to consign. I got burned out. It was just so much work, mm. so much yeah. to put in. And then both the auctions had great turnouts, but the weather fought us on both of them. We had hail at the second one. Oh, where no. I was running out there and I was driving cars into the building and before the storm's coming. And one minute I'm starting a 41 Buick with the push pedal starter. Mm-hmm. Then I'm starting a 2014, uh, you know, Mini Cooper where I touch the key to the dash and I have like two seconds to learn how to start these cars and everything's different. And yeah. it was just, it was an experience. And so it was just so much stress. And, you know, I realized there's a, there's other way to make money at playing with cars than, uh, become the next Barrett Jackson. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you gain a great appreciation for people that have done that and do it for a long time. So let me ask you this. What would be a takeaway 
if you had to do it over again and it ended up being successful, let's just say it went down that path. But if you had to do it over again, what's a lesson or an idea you might share with someone else who's thinking about starting up, not necessarily an auction, but any kind of business? What are some things you might have done differently before you jumped into this that could have helped to be successful? First off, advertising. I've learned so much more about social media advertising than I knew back then. We wasted a lot of money on TV and radio, which I had no idea how inefficient that is. And you're trying to hit a niche market. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your dollar goes a lot farther with social media these days. That's one thing has also changed since the last five years. Oh, yeah. And aside from that, uh, focus more on getting good cars there for good realistic prices over getting a lot of cars there. Because hmm. I made a mistake. I wanted to get a lot of cars there the first time. So I would take every single car that would come my way. And a lot of these guys were just dreamers. And I, even though I knew they were $20,000 above what the car was worth, they are putting the reserve at, I yeah. took them anyways because – I just wanted to make sure we had we had cars there. I was too yeah. paranoid that nobody would show up, you know? Right. kind of hurts your sell rate when you have people that are dreaming there and are trying, just trying to get a free car appraisal. Oh, so yeah. I would rather have 40 cars that are going to sell than have 180 when half of them are just dreaming about the price. Yeah. So that's one thing I would have different. But I was too nice to tell them that they were way too high in their reserves. So Well, that's something else that comes with time and learning, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, when you're at these auctions and you see cars that aren't moving – and they have reserves, you see how fast they get them off the stage because they realize, okay, this isn't going to work next. And maybe that will cause the the owner to reconsider and later have somebody come back and go, you know, it's really only worth this. And sometimes they do those after sales, but it doesn't do much for the auction at the time. And of course, when people start seeing too many of those, they start realizing, oh, there's nothing here. Because everybody thinks you're going to get a deal at an auction, right? Right. Not, Not always true sometimes, but you never know. So- Well, great lesson, and thanks for sharing a really painful time in your life. Uh, But these lessons are things that are invaluable to learn moving forward, and you can typically take them into other career paths and businesses and learn from those there as you try to make that a possibility. Let's shift gears and go to what I call the other end of the spectrum, an aha moment in your life, your career, your business, a time when those headlights kind of illuminate a new direction for you. So tell us about one of yours. This is going to break the mood down a little bit, which I'm Uh not trying to do. (laughs) Kind of a heartbreaking part, uh, hardest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. But right before we started the auction, actually the end result of why we started the auction, I, I lost my oldest brother to suicide when I was 22. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And he, was, he was, thank you. He was 26 years old, and that that Christmas it was our first Christmas without him. And my dad and I were out in the garage and had a heart to heart conversation, talking about you know how short life is and you know mm-hmm. what, what would you want to do. And I said I wanted to work with cars, like that's what makes me happy, you know and he said, well, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I quit my job and went to auction school. And basically the whole endeavor was a, a result of having a life changing experience of wow. kind of realizing that life's too short not to chase your passions. Oh my gosh. I, I hardly even know what to say here, but I, I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine what it's like to go through that in a family and have to deal with that. I guess if there's any positive out of it at all, it is that experience with your father and realizing Life can be short, no matter what might bring it to an end. You need to enjoy every day and every moment, and you need to do what you love. Because if you're waiting to get through one period of life to go live your life later, you may not have a later, and you need to do it now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's a learned a lot, and you know, never take a single day for granted. No, I'm sure you don't. Well, my condolences to you and your family for uh, that terrible experience. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, let's try to have a little fun. We'll bring it up a little bit here and talk about your first really special car. Now, 
you're a young guy who's had so many cars. I mean, it's almost mind-boggling to me. As I was putting your bio together, I was thinking, how many cars had I had by that age? And I think it was like four, maybe, or something like that. And I thought that was pretty cool. But <laughs> let's talk about your first really special car. That first car that had great meaning to you. It may not be the first car. It may not even be the fifth car. For you, it could have been the 20th car. But the, <laughs> the one that you went, ah, oh, I finally got one of these. Finally got one of these is different than the special car, but I'd say my my most special car was my first car. Mm-hmm. It was a 95 Buick Roadmaster. You know, I thought it was cool. It was, you had the LT1. It was basically the poor man's Impala SS when I was uh, that age because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford an Impala, but it still had the LT1. You know, it was still a very powerful car and I put uh, old, the old uh, fashioned 1960s Buick rally wheels on it, white letter tires, Flowmasters. I even cut the hood scoops out of a 70 to 72 Buick GS and welded them in my hood. So I had a GS hood on it, (laughs) put GS badging on it because I I couldn't afford a muscle car. So I figured I'd make one out of my $1,000, 200,000 mile four-door Grandma Buick. (laughs) Why not? Yeah, that was a money losing lesson. And my dad tried to talk me out of it, but he knew I could be in the worst. So he was telling me, don't dump money into a rusty four-door because he did the same thing with a 56 Chevy when he was 16. Mm -hmm. I didn't listen and I (laughs) lost a significant amount of money on that car, but I I learned quite a bit. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I would think the experience, you got to learn how to do some things, which is valuable for future. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. My uh, second car was a Carmen Ghia, and I always called it my poor man's Porsche because what I really wanted was a Porsche. But of course, in high school, couldn't afford a Porsche. So I did everything to make it like a Porsche that I could. I painted it a Porsche color, put Porsche hubcaps on it. It was my poor man's Porsche. So I just pretended that it was. But those are the, <laughs> those are the things we do. Well, how about seller's remorse. Now, you've sold a lot of cars, so there's got to be one, maybe more than one, that you wish you hadn't let go. What was it? Yeah, there, there's a couple, but the one that I, it's already starting to bother me, it's only been gone for about a year and a half, but I just just knowing what I know about collector cars and the history of how the market's trended from the muscle cars, mm-hmm. the one car I had, I just have a really strong feeling that they're going to be very valuable someday. And I had a blue and white 1996 Dodge Viper GTS. Oh. And that was the first year of the GTS. They were only made in blue and white. They had a one-off motor with a different cam than the rest of the GTS Vipers. And I feel like that's going to be the Dodge Daytona Plymouth Superbird of our of the 90s. Mm-hmm. My kids will probably be going, you did not own a Viper. No way. <laughs> yeah. I know it's more, worth more than the house now, but I swear I had one. Yeah. <laughs> so that one kind of hurts. Uh Life kind of changed and uh, need to need to move. I had a, had a child on the way, so uh, oh yeah, that one was kind of not really practical. I can't put car seats in it. So well, Mike, I'll tell you as a much older guy that that'll happen again probably in your life. I've uh, sold a lot of cars to pay for kids' things like college and buying kids new cars and things like that. But you know, it's well worth it because you can always get another car down the road. So, uh, Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And for a guy like a guy like you, yeah, I know there'll be lots of more cars down the road. So yeah, very cool. Well, let's talk about what has you excited and fired up today. Uh, Let our listeners know a little bit about your podcast, the motor madhouse. I'd love for you to share a little bit about that and any other kind of thing you want to talk about of what has you excited this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Motor Madhouse podcast, um, that was kind of the end result of I want to do something working with cars. It's kind of just a passion project mm-hmm. at, at the moment. Um, you know, I work a full-time job. This is something I just do for fun. It's much like your show. We promote passion. I don't care if you're into drifting or drag racing or rat rods or four-wheel drive trucks or, you know, even old hit and miss tractor engines. Like I, I'm fascinated with anything with a crankshaft and pistons. <laughs> yeah. I like to have people come on and explain their passion to the audience. Mm-hmm. So 
explain why are you guys so into such a niche market where no one else can understand it, even if we're fellow gearhead. There's people that are just into like they get so deep into one car or one area of cars that even fellow car guys can't understand. I mean, you meet an AMC guy, he's completely different than a Mopar guy. You meet a Chevy guy, he's completely different than a Corvette guy. Everyone's a little different and I'm fascinated by all of it. So I like interviewing people, talk about their passion. We uh, kind of talk about our own passions, our own projects going on. We're always wheeling and dealing and building cars. Mm -hmm. It's never ends. I mean, there's, I have enough material to fill my lifetime because it's all real. It's all happening around us. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I know it's Similar to one of my mantras, and that is, if it rolls on rubber, I like it. So, uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But one thing I have found is that this car hobby, this fascination with automobiles, does cross all barriers and brings everyone together. Because even if you're a Ford guy, Mopar guy, Chevy guy, Porsche guy, whatever it might be, motorcycles, trucks, when you get together, you have commonality, you have things to talk about, and you're instant friends, instant buddies. And you just sit there and talk. I'm lucky enough on this past trip I took recently that I sat next to somebody who's into cars and turns out he listened to my podcast. And so for a five hour flight, all we do is talk about cars. I mean, it was just, it went by so <laughs> fast. I was like, oh, man, yeah. we need to travel together more often. This makes long trips feel really good. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's how we got with the, just the idea to start the podcast. I was like, you know, I talk to my friends all day on the phone every day about car related stuff. There's not a day that goes by maybe Christmas or certain holidays where <laughs> <laughs> we don't, but, um, yeah, like why don't we just record it? We're all, I mean, just, we have enough interesting material, and you know, we're we're, we're I, I know some of the some very knowledgeable car guys. I'm fortunate to know, and I'm constantly learning from them, and we're we're very into learning about the the field. So yeah, very cool. Well, I'll let our listeners know that I'm honored to be I'm going to be a guest on the Motor Madhouse podcast with Mike. So uh, you'll have to check him out, find his website, look him up, and uh, look for a talk we'll have on his podcast where he gets to talk a little bit about me and maybe ask me a few funny questions. So uh, we'll see how I do. Here's a very introspective question for you, Mike. If you were a car, what kind of car would Mike be and why? I'm going to stick with Pontiac here. I would be a 1973 Trans Am Super Duty. Oh, Only because I've always gone against the grain with everything I do. I mean, when I was in high school and everyone else was driving souped-up Hondas, I had a four-door Grandma Roadmaster. When it came to music, they're all listening to hip-hop and all that nonsense, and I was listening to... Waylon Jennings, Frank Sinatra, Led Zeppelin, anything that was good. Cool. That's kind of what Pontiac did in 1973. Everyone was going for gas mileage and being compact and environmentally friendly, and they came out with the biggest, baddest motor they ever made, which was something I would totally would have been on board with if I was a part of Pontiac back then. So yeah. I would say that for sure. Very cool. I think you're the only one out of 1,006 people I've interviewed on this show so far that uh, is that vehicle. So that makes you rather unique as well. So very oh, there cool. you go. There you go. Well, Mike, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, 
personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Mike, we're back. And we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, when it comes to buying and selling, a good friend and mentor of mine told me, if you don't lose every now and then, then you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> I like that. So that one sticks with me and makes me feel good when I lose. There you so. go. You learn something. Those failures teach us really valuable lessons. So. There you go. I had a guest on the show. She said every year she sets a goal of failing 100 times that year. That means she's tried a lot of new things that she's never <laughs> done before. I like that. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your many successes over the years? I'm very obsessed with financing. It's very important to me that I spend less than I make at all times. Yeah. And I've felt that way since I started working. So I try to maintain only good debt. I didn't really get into credit cards until I needed to, to build credit to get a house um, aside from that, I have car loans where the cars are worth at or more than I paid for them and my mortgage. I try not to have credit cards, student loan debt or anything that's going to drag me down. So that's uh, definitely made everything a lot more possible to oh, play with the car hobby. Yes. Very, very wise young man you are. Take heed at those folks out there. Stay out of debt. Please do not live beyond your means. It is uh, only a path to uh, sadness and tears. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would say the two of my favorite ones kind of taking over the other is Craigslist. That's where I do most of my uh-huh. dealing. Yep. I mean, all the time. But uh, Facebook Marketplace is actually really kind of taking that place. I, I feel like there's a, it's going to be not too long till Facebook Marketplace may be larger than Craigslist just because you can. it's so much harder to get scammed when you can see who you're buying from. Yeah. So those are my two favorite places. I'm, I, anytime I have downtime, I'm hunting deals, even if I don't have garage space or money because yep. I'm a junkie. But <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I got to learn to stay off them, but uh, I love them. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because way back when Craigslist was getting some kind of bad raps because of some bad things that were happening to people, I always thought, why didn't Facebook do this? Because then you can see the person, you can resource them. You know, there's no mystery unless they're making up a fake Facebook page, which of course people can mm-hmm. do. That's why all those young girls are always wanting to be my friend. 
<laughs> I'm sure. You too? Uh, yeah, me too. I, you too? Oh my gosh. I thought I was the only guy. And, uh, but I, I think it's great that you mentioned that because, uh, yeah, Craigslist, there is that sense of, uh, oh, a little sketchy. I don't want someone coming to my house, driving my car that I don't know. Let's meet at the police station to transfer money and that kind of thing. So I'm glad you mentioned that. You're the first person to mention that too, which I'm really surprised. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? I'd have to say John DeLorean. Oh, okay. Just because, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Pontiac nut. And, you know, just the, the story of how the GTO was created, it just fascinates me. He was just such an incredible engineer. Uh, I've read stories about how he would buy a new motorcycle every year, take it in his basement, and take it apart 100% and put it back together just to see what was developing with technology. Uh-huh. He was a true gearhead. And, you know, he, he has such a bad legacy because of the cocaine deal in the 80s that put him down and yeah. basically a sting operation. It's not like he was actually a dealer or anything. Mm-hmm. I would like to hear his take on, on how the GTO was created and how he founded his own automotive company. I mean, he was aspiring to be the next Enzo Ferrari. You know, it was very, the guy really chased his dreams and, and, and made a lot happen. He's a huge, significant piece of automotive history. Yes. Uh, very interesting guy. And I'll let our, I'll let you know and our listeners know, I had a guest Back in uh, February of 2016, Barry Wills. And Barry is a guy that was literally with John DeLorean when he started the DeLorean Motor Company, when it started. And he was the last guy literally to turn the lights out in the factory after he had liquidated everything in that business. And he wrote a book called DeLorean and Me about his experiences with John DeLorean and everything that happened, how the whole thing got started, how it got put together, how it got financed. You really should get your hands on a copy of that book. And uh, you can go Absolutely. and, yeah, you can go to my website and click on the guest or search bar and type in Barry Wills in there. And his name is W-I-L-L-S-B-A-R-R-I-E is his first name. And he's written, a, it's just a fascinating book. I mean, all sides, it's the insider story because he, he was right there. I mean, he was the finance guy. He was see, wow. he was seeing it all. So really, really cool book. And if you like uh, DeLorean cars, uh, you'll love that. So I think that would be great. Well, listeners, you can find all these great resources on the Cars Yeah website under Mike Paul. Just type Mike Paul into the search bar. His page will pop up with links to everything there. And I'll make sure I put a link to this book. As well. And speaking of books, I didn't ask you this question, but I want to ask you, is there a book that you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy? The one I actually started to read, my brother recommended, is uh, The Four Hour Work Week, which is a very good, uh, yeah, great book about how to make a life, you know, not about money and more about uh, being happy every day. So, well, yeah, exactly. You know what's great about that book, too, is when you read that book, or you even see the title, you first think, well, it's just about somebody getting away with not working very hard. But it really isn't about mm-hmm. that. Obviously, the the author, Tim Ferriss, those of you who know the book, and he's written all sorts of great books. I've read so many of them. But uh, that book is more about how to manage your time better, I think, because that's what I got out of it. Mm-hmm. How to be smarter with your time and use your time more wisely. I always say that to people. They think, well, how can you have time to start a business on the side or weekends or evenings? Well, I think you're a good example of that, Mike. You just don't waste your time. You don't waste your time watching stupid TV shows. And uh, right. you just, when you come home from work, you eat and then you go back to work, but you go and play with building your own business. So I always tell people, it's like, I, I used to be very into sports, but as I've gotten older, I've kind of gotten less and less attention that I pay to it. And I can probably name five people in the NFL at this point where I used to know every Walter Payton stat there yeah, was. Right. And, yeah. um, and because I got, I got into my own stuff. I can't tell you who the linebacker for the Jets is, but I can tell you what the carburetor number is on a 70W30. So, <laughs> well, 
I guess I just yeah. found my niche. Yeah, I think you're right. And you're a lot happier for it. And you can wrap it into a career, something that you can build for your future as well, which is very, very cool. So wise words. Well, now we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question, it can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. Don't worry about the cost because I'm going to write the check. But you can only have one car in your garage that's a toy car, and it's this one. So you got to get rid of everything else. That's what makes this question kind of tough. But I want you to use the car and drive it. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with. So if this was the last great car, let's just stay on this day, Mike, because I know this is a hard question for you. Mm -hmm. uh, what would it be? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's like asking me what my favorite Leonard Skinner song. It depends on my mood. <laughs> but, well, that's um, why I say let's – and by the way, <laughs> listeners, we're recording this at the end of a very long week for both of us. I just returned from a lot of travels. Mike's been at a very busy week. And here we are on a Friday night when most people are probably out at a bar drinking with their friends. And we're doing what we like. We're talking cars. So what's it going to be? Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of probably going to be an upset. I mean, you see, I'm a GM guy, and I've talked a lot about Pontiac, yeah. but I'm going to go with Ford here. It would be the actual Steve McQueen Bullet Mustang. Oh, okay. Now, is this the one that's just uh, been out in the Facebook pages yes. lately? It's I think it's sitting in the Haggerty uh, um, offices in uh, Traverse City right now in their uh, lobby. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I, unfortunately. I, since I was a little <laughs> kid, I knew, that, I knew that car was missing. And like I, I had, I've stayed awake and I just dreaming about finding that car somewhere. And now it's been found. It's kind of like a heartbreak. But well, it's not, it's, it's not it. like the but guy was going to let it go. Yeah. You know, right. so, uh, yeah. well, McKeel Haggard, he's been a guest on this show. So I'm sure if you go up there, he'd probably let you, maybe he might even let you sit <laughs> in it. But uh, yeah, it's a little rough. You know, obviously it's been uh, not restored, which that's the, probably the next question is should anybody restore it or not touch it? We'll leave that debate for another day because it can get a little yeah. heavy winded. But uh, since I know McKeel and I know where it is, maybe I can go borrow it and bring it to your house and you can you enjoy go. it. So there you go. <laughs> well, I was see if I can shift it and get that same sound that Stephen Queen got. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've watched that video so many times. The one where the car oh, that loses thousands. its hubcaps loses five hubcaps instead of four. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm running 10 minutes late for work. If that if I flip through the channels and that's on, like I'm watching it till the end every time. Yeah, I mean, of course. I, I love F Chase. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Well, Mike, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yow listeners and me. Would you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset, making those great shift noises in that Steve McQueen bullet Mustang? We've said it a couple times already, but I'll reiterate it. Chase your passions. Passions what leads to happiness, not money or anything else. You know, it's you got to do what makes you happy. You can't buy that. So absolutely, that's what I found. Very wise words from a young man. Sometimes it takes many more years than someone's life to figure that out. So I'm very happy you figured it out at this age. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and about the Motor Madhouse podcast? Yeah, well, you're listening to a podcast now, so I assume you know how to look up other podcasts. You can go on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, look up the Motor Madhouse podcast and subscribe. We put out new episodes every Monday. You can also go on Facebook and we have the Motor Madhouse podcast page. Um, you can message us through there. Or if you want to email us, you can email us at themotormadhouse at gmail.com. There you go. Well, listeners, I'll make sure you can find all these great links on Mike's show notes page at the Cars yeah website. Just go there and type in Mike Paul. That page will pop right up. And remember, Mike's going to be gracious enough to interview me on the Motor Madhouse podcast. So maybe you'll hear something new and different from me when we talk. So keep an eye out for that. Mike, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your automotive experiences with the Cars Yow audience. 
Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. You're welcome. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!